0: Welcome to today's episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. My philosophy is that relationships not only can be a vehicle for your own healing, but that it's actually required to do your work to heal from whatever is keeping you from fully showing up in your life, in your relationships, and in the bedroom. And just like we touched on in our conversation with Diana Richardson way back in episode two, There is tremendous potential for you when you're in relationship to help your partner on that journey of healing, especially sexual healing. I'm bringing this up because on today's show, our guest is Wendy Maltz, author of The Sexual Healing Journey. Her book is about how to recover from sexual trauma and deepen your capacity for intimacy and sexual pleasure. In this episode, we're talking about how you can take on that legacy of pain and potential disconnect and use it to build a more solid, loving, sensual, and yes, sexual connection with your partner. There are all kinds of things that could have an impact on your sexual development, cause some degree of trauma, and be an obstacle to true intimacy with your partner. So, even if you haven't been specifically affected by some form of assault, or abuse, this conversation is for you to find opportunities for your own sexual growth and healing. If you have been affected by some form of sexual trauma, this conversation could potentially be a trigger for you. My goal through having Wendy on the program is to help you and your partner get through the triggers together to a place where you can have deep intimacy, connection, and the kind of fulfilling sex life that is your birthright. A few last things I wanna mention. I do bring up an episode with Gary Wilson of Your Brain on Porn, which hasn't been released yet, though it's coming soon. Also, Wendy's relearning touch and sexual healing videos are now available for free on her website, healthysex.com. And as always, you'll have a chance to win a free signed copy of Wendy's book. All this and more on today's episode. Wendy Maltz, thank you so much for being here on Relationship Alive.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Neil.
0: It's truly my pleasure. We were, as we were discussing before the interview, I feel like this situation in, particularly in America, but I'm sure that it's worldwide, of how issues of rape, abuse, incest can affect both men and women directly and then indirectly in terms of their relationships. The the problem is so widespread. I'm wondering if you can give our listeners a sense of what the current known statistics are around these kinds of issues.
1: Well, the statistics vary depending on what types of uh, sexual abuse occurred and what's being recorded. But in general, it seems like Uh, females, about uh, one in three females are sexually abused in their lifetime. And somewhere between about one in five to seven males. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty high. And then when you figure in a lot of things of uh, being spoken at inappropriately or touched inappropriately, you know, in a uh, subway car or whatever, you know, it's, it, it, there's um, there's a lot there, so I think that a lot of females, in particular, run into experiences of sexual, some type of affront to their sexuality in their lifetime. It's a pretty common thing. We see it a lot in our media, and there are a lot of males too, especially uh, male children, but they don't talk about it as much. There's a little bit more. Um, discussion happening now than there was 20, 30 years ago when I started, you know, counseling people. But still, that's kept under wraps a, a bit more.
0: It also occurred to me as I was rereading your book, The Sexual Healing Journey, that even just exposure to sexual imagery or uh, sexual Words can really have an effect on a young child and you might not necessarily classify that or think back on that as Abuse necessarily, but even those things can really have an impact on how people develop in terms of their sexual awareness and identities
1: Right, I think we all have a a right to have our sexuality unfold at a time and in a way that fits with our level of maturity And where sex is something that we're kind of curious about and excited about and feel we can be in control of. And a lot of um, children are being denied that, right, in our culture. And when you factor in pornography, the access to pornography that children have nowadays and types of pornography that are quite extreme, too, it you know you you can almost look at that as a form of kind of cultural uh a sexual abuse type activity where there i i define sexual abuse as when you're dominated or exploited for by sexual activity or suggestion it's an affront to your sexuality it's harm done to your sexuality someone Approaches your sexuality or interferes with your sexual development using sexual energy, um, and uh, it's often often the attack is to the uh, to a person's uh, genitals, awakening them prematurely uh, and in a context where there is a domination and exploitation going on. So. Um, You know, that's pretty uh, broad definition. And I think a lot of us, you know, all have experienced that in one way or another, quite repeatedly in our culture.
0: How would you contrast that with a a healthy exploration of sex and, and maybe even a healthy exploration of power dynamics that that can come up when people are being sexual with each other?
1: Well, I think there can be sort of like um, being introduced to to some activities, kissing on the playground, let's say, or um, where you uh, do some, you see somebody in a classroom. uh, If you're an adolescent and you've noticed your body get turned on, you spin off into a sexual fantasy. Doing some exploration with self-touch or touch with a uh, another person. And feeling, um, like I said, it's it has to do with when you're feeling curious, ready, in control of what's happening, which means you feel you can stop it at any time, um, and when there isn't... Uh, an actual overt exploitation going on or domination going on. So it's that ability to control the situation and also be educated enough and aware enough, uh, mature enough to know what some of the consequences could be of different choices, sexual choices, choices to whether to explore making out, let's say, or to, um, you know... Pass, pass on it for now, yeah.
0: So getting back to the question of the impact of sexual abuse in all its various forms on relationships, um, you mentioned pornography, and we had a great conversation the other day with Gary Wilson of Mm -hmm. Your Brain on Porn about... The, the impact of watching porn on men and women and libido and int- developing intimacy. And I mentioned this to you offline that it suddenly occurred to me, oh, this is like the other side of the coin for, um, you know, it's kind of the dark issue of men primarily in relationships. And when you talk about one out of three women having gone through some form of sexual abuse or assault suddenly you realize like oh well this is almost like the corresponding thing that lots and lots of women and certainly some men as well are going through can you talk about that a little bit
1: yeah well i mean pornography has been called by feminists a uh, manual for rape um i think that's kind of extreme but you know it does show uh people being used uh, as objects um women in particular and children um, and it shows sex as a form of power often there's a lack of intimacy and becoming involved with pornography, especially today's high speed internet porn and where it's on demand, it's right there. can often be the first sexual experience that a youth, either male or female, has where they feel their sexual energy awakened or, or they have their first are having their first orgasms to uh, with self-stimulation to pornographic images, it kind, of, it kind of gets in there with some early conditioning that doesn't match up real well with then learning skills that help with developing um, self-control, intimacy, and having a, a rich, sensual-based Uh, sexuality, pleasure-based sexuality unfold where you're really in the moment. You're not like dissociated into a fantasy of an image, but you're really in your body, in your breath, in your movement, in your feelings for if you're with a partner for the partner, or even just your feelings about nature and your own marvelous body. You know, if you're with yourself, it's, it, 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 uh, it, Gets in there early, pornography gets in there early and starts creating these associations, like where you get dependent on this uh, product. And uh, it's kind of like fast food or junk food or whatever. You you don't learn to really enjoy really good cooking, home cooking, (laughs) or, um, you know, like, um, you know, marvelous uh, desserts and uh, meals that are rich and nurturing and nourishing. So yeah, that's, it's kind of sad what's going on. I don't think we're even as a society, all that conscious of what's happening to this whole generation. Um, but it does can potentiate sexual abuse because sexual abuse is often shown without any consequences. Um, I've heard umpteen stories as a therapist of uh, victims of sexual abuse saying that um, their perpetrators got the ideas for what they were doing. Like an older brother got the idea to to sexually abuse them from exposure to pornography um, or people turning to sexual abuse because they saw types of uh, Abuse of children. One in one fifth of all pornography on the internet is uh, child sexual abuse. It's pretty high. Wow. And, and, yeah, and so people see those images, even if that you know, or they get those ideas, and even if they have, like, um, over eighteen year olds uh, dressed up as children, or whether whatever, or watching cartoon porn that involves children. It's it. It lays some associations. It sort of says, I really hate the term kitty porn. It's like, what? You know, this is not playground stuff. This is, uh, anytime there's an image of a child being sexually, uh, in, in child pornography, that is child abuse pornography. That is a crime scene that you're watching. And uh, people can get very confused because, Sometimes they can get aroused to and then wonder, worry that they, they're a pedophile or will be or just feeling lots of shame and guilt. So there's a lot of there's a lot of um negative repercussions going on, but people aren't sitting around talking about it like, you know, a young male, let's say, in who's twelve or thirteen years old, he's not like going to his parents and saying, I saw this thing on the internet and it freaked me out, and then I got excited by it sexually. What does this mean? So, people, so, uh, you know, a lot of the negative repercussions from sexual abuse for victims of all kinds um, get really um, uh, occur be- because they're done, because the victim is left in isolation without support without guidance without somebody saying oh this is what you experienced. this is why that stuff exists and your reactions were normal given the circumstances of the way you were being traumatized by what you were seeing or being exposed to or by the person who was um, touching you so you know people need a lot of young uh, vic- when you're a victim of sexual abuse you need a lot of support and that's what a lot of what recovery is even though it might be delayed fifteen or ten years from the time of the actual assault you know it's people getting comfort getting uh... reassurance getting information that can help them to understand what they experience and be able to talk about it, to grieve over losses and to then develop and learn new skills that can help them to uh, move beyond the trauma. It doesn't, sexual abuse is not a type of trauma that, you know, heals itself over time in isolation.
0: So what are some, common problems that people might experience in a relationship that you might be able to trace back to one of the people or both for that matter, but at least one person having been a victim?
1: Well, you can have like, um, fear of sex or withdrawal from sex. Um, approaching sex as an obligation, uh, having automatic reactions come up to touch like disgust or guilt or shame, Um, having uh, sexual functioning problems, uh, the whole gamut there from um, uh, premature ejaculation to erectile difficulty, impotence, if you will, and um, low sex desire, painful uh, intercourse for females and... Difficulties with having an orgasm, so you can have you know specific sexual dysfunctions that can be traced to reactions and repercussions of abuse. You have intrusive sexual fantasies, um, and you know it's in, uh, not feeling present during sex, feeling dissociated, and uh, it's you know there's there's a lot of different ways it can go with. Different types of repercussions. Knowing the repercussions um, can help a person say, oh my gosh, I'm not going crazy or I'm not unsexual. I'm not, you know, like my nature isn't asexual. It's that, oh my goodness, I, um, I experienced something and I'm having what are normal, understandable reactions to the sexual Assault I experienced, but one of the things there, a person has to see what they experienced as having been abuse or assault. Uh, I'm a good example of that myself. When I was in college, I um, went out with a guy who was a law student, and uh, uh, we drank, and uh, he ended up taking me back to his apartment and assaulting me. Um, and at the time, I thought, oh, you know, I shouldn't have drunk. What was wrong with me? I was scared, very scared during it. Was, it had a violent nature to it. But um, I still, my thoughts were just to get out of there. And it wasn't until I actually, you know, kind of became a counselor, was uh, looking at things, to, you know, looking at my early experiences differently than I went and writing these books on sexual healing that I went, oh, my God what I experienced was a date rape, you know? And mm. so we often don't label our experiences because they, we feel so much shame about them or uh, they seem normal or whatever, you know, to the uh, society where the culture we're part of. But then to go, oh, okay, so that's why that type of touch terrifies me, you know, and you make a connection, and you go, "Huh, okay, now I understand." Or that's why I have these unwanted fantasies about this because I'm trying to figure out still what happened to me, or it's a repercussion from this early abuse. Uh, yeah, and that's why. That's why I think it is good, and some level to, to look at. Uh, premature exposure to pornography or certain types of pornography or a lot of exposure to pornography, like a lot of kids are having now, can be seen as um, behaving in ways uh, such as uh, traumatizing uh, children.
0: Right. Uh, And I just want to mention, too, you know, one of the reasons that this conversation was so important to me personally is that I've experienced what it's like to be with a partner who is a survivor from abuse. And and so it's had a huge impact on me personally. And through reading your book and really exploring how it, how it had impacted me and getting to more of a sense of, how that experience could have impacted her it really opened up my eyes to a totally new way of experiencing the patterns that had come up in our sexuality because it's pretty easy i think to look at something like uh well my partner doesn't seem interested in sex and suddenly you're like you have a sexual problem where you're talking to a sex therapist about well how do we get more passion in our relationship and you might mm-hmm. be totally overlooking the like the obvious like oh when i initiate sex my partner has uh gets triggered and dissociates and so of course there's like right no, you know no sex happening so um how you know how would someone Is there a way that someone could definitively know this is this is an issue that I should really be looking at for myself, whether you're a survivor or um, the partner of that person?
1: Well, I think it's good if both people become very educated about sexual abuse and its repercussions to be able to identify if, you know, the possibilities of different responses being related to unresolved issues. Um, you know, that correspond with the early sexual abuse. I really feel my heart goes out to partners of survivors because they often are in the dark with what's going on and take it personally, can feel inadequate, and just the uh, the isolation they feel and the, the lack of love and, and uh, you know, feeling love but not having it, res- uh, feeling physical love and not having it reciprocated in a relationship. Um, and they often, intimate partners, make some big boobos and <laughs> mistakes in terms of what they think they'll, you know, go out and buy a dildo or whatever for their partner thinking, oh, this is going to excite her because they saw it, you know, on a in an advertisement on the internet or something. It's like, Whoa, that's like could really re trigger, you know. Hmm. And uh, it, maybe there was a positive intention or or getting some lingerie, sexy lingerie, but it makes the um, the uh survivor feel like a sex object or like having to perform, which might have been some feelings that were related in the experience in the early abuse. Um, it Just by the very nature of wanting to be sexual, you can get an unconscious association to the perpetrator that is uh, kind of, it's it's really can wreak havoc in what goes on physically. So this becoming aware, becoming conscious, talking about it together, learning to shift and rather than be sort of adversarial with each other, and to see like okay we're going to become a team and we're going to approach this together we're going to both learn all we can we're going to learn new approaches to touch new approaches to uh, to initiating intimacy we're going to work together to create safety and um, go slowly at time, you have to kind of go slowly, and the survivors got to learn through things like the relearning touch exercises uh, to be able that that he or she has control of what's going on with their body, and that they can communicate and be present and breathe and and feel, and nothing bad happens. And and so there's just a lot to work together on. So you have to stop doing the behaviors that are getting in the way you know demanding sex or you know blaming the victim things like this and and then shift to oh we're going to tackle this together my husband and i i had i call myself a patchwork survivor because i experienced a number of forms of sexual abuse but uh, you know when i i was riding the sexual healing journey and, and describing the relearning touch exercises and there was this one very simple very basic one called hand clapping and you sit facing each other like cross-legged and the survivor makes up a hand clapping routine and teaches it to the partner and you think oh what is this is so ridiculous this is playground activity what, do, what does a couple need to do that but the reality is you're working on things like being able to breathe comfortably, being able to uh, communicate and be present and relax and have fun. And uh, my husband, Larry, who's this just wonderful guy, uh, we've been married for, see, I don't know, together nearly 40 years, believe it or not. Great. Uh, yeah, um, and he's very athletic and he has these large arms, you know, you know, and he put his arms up to begin for the hand clapping routine. And I immediately dissociated to being like going back in age. You know, I was like this wow. sort of kid. And I said, because uh, he's taller than I am and bigger, and his arms were big and all. And I mean, this is Larry. He's my buddy. He's my lover. He's my friend, you know. And it, it just really blew me away that one of the very simplest uh, relearning Touch Experience, me, you know, this author and sex therapist or whatever, I, I looked like I was dissociating in. And it was because I was really trying to be present, you know, and not dissociate. I was trying to really be there with him. And then I got in touch with the reactions. So he said, "We, you know, rather than go him getting upset with me and go, Wendy, it's just me or, you know, can't you relax or you know, uh, I'm not going to hurt you or anything like that. He, he just kind of went, well, is there anything you can think of that you need that would help you to feel older, <laughs> you know, to not go back in years and feel like a kid again or whatever? Is there anything that you can think of that we could do differently that might help you feel feel better? So I thought, mm, you know, and then he said, well, what about if you sat on a pillow or a cushion? Which I did, and I, we got so many cushions, I started to topple over, <laughs> and then I felt kind of out of control. I said, no, that not work. But we got to a point where I was about eye level with him, and we could do it, and I didn't dissociate, and I enjoyed it, and it was me, and it was him. And I learned a lot from that experience um, of uh, you know just how much you have to really slow down to and relearn and work together as a team, um, you know, both people, nobody taking it personally or you know anger or blame, but just more okay, we've both been impacted by this, and we're gonna we're gonna overcome it together.
0: I want our listeners to know that. My intent while we 're talking is to is to really keep focusing on both people in the relationship that uh, because I love that there's an acknowledgement of what the partner of a survivor is going through and and how challenging that can be, whether it's to recognize that your partner has associated you with um, someone who was their the original offender or perpetrator or simply feeling your partner vanish or like they're not there, either they're not there because they're not having sex with you, or maybe they feel like they're not there because they're just like having sex with you compulsively, whatever it is where you yeah. feel like they're not really fully present there and loving you. And it can really be a challenge in those moments to to not take it personally, as you just mentioned, um, to not feel like, like you're either not desirable or there's there's something wrong with you and that's why you're not being met fully do you have any tips for partners and who are dealing with those very issues around their own feeling feelings of not really being met and how they can how they can how they can really show up and get past that kind of feeling
1: well, I think if you ter- think in terms of doing the opposite of what a perpetrator might do, you know, like a perpetrator, perpetrators, they, um, they don't ask, uh, they don't make a request, <laughs> they don't check in with how, uh, you know, the, the other person's doing, they don't al- allow choice, they, uh, they're very self-centered and very, you um, Uh, some, you know, either angry or quiet or they, you know, and so if you're thinking, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to approach sex in in an opposite way than a perpetrator. And that doesn't mean that you really think you're in any way a perpetrator, it just says it means that you're knowledgeable enough to know that there can be these unconscious associations that go on like i remember once working with a couple where the um they're working towards being able to be intimate again after not having intimacy the woman had been sexually abused by her father and a number of other males growing up and um she uh the, the husband was feeling really Uh, sexually frustrated, understandably, and longing and wanting connection with her. And he found his wife very attractive. Uh, He went into the bathroom one morning and uh, when she was coming out of the shower and he looked at her when she, you know, drew the curtain aside and he was looking at her with like, God, you're gorgeous, you know, you're really hot, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it just set her off in terms of her anger her you know you just think of me as a sex object blah 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 and uh they totally missed each other in that experience so he would he learned you know that the experience was discussed a lot and he learned that why she had the reaction she did and she also learned about his reaction and that how where he was coming from in it and they had to do a lot of talking and then figuring out okay let's replay that how could that be replayed in a way that has a positive ending you know what I mean or where mm. it goes go somewhere positive and um, so you know those experiences as upsetting as they are can be great stepping stones for learning and nobody's the bad guy Nobody's to blame you. Like I said, you shift from being in more kind of adversarial stance to having compassion and understanding and, you know, for each other's position. The survivor doesn't want to, like, uh, though, ignore his or her feelings and uh, do something that feels uncomfortable. And uh, the partner shouldn't uh, go to a place where they feel like they're putting down their... uh natural and healthy sexual urges and feelings, you know, and having those uh allow those to be condemned as something bad when they're when they're not.
0: What kind of hope can you offer a partner who may be feeling like, "Wow, I wonder if I'm ever going to be able to experience myself and my sexuality freely with my survivor?" partner.
1: Yeah, I think when you do, um, like you s- stop behavior that in any way has triggered negative feelings associated with the abuse, you learn to work at, at, as a team, you develop skills together like the ability to, to, um, to check in with each other, to stop and change a behavior to be more comfortable when you're able to um, emotionally process feelings together that might come up grief feelings or uh, just feelings of being overwhelmed or overexcited that might come up too With that all those skills you develop will do in the long run pay off that once new skills once a survivor has learned new skills and you as a couple have learned new skills to handle all different kinds of situations together. You're then, you know, you you then have what you need to to handle things in the future, and you're likely to have uh, positive experiences. And if you make sex something that uh, is safe and fun, where uh, you're you're exploring your curiosity together and um, and, you know, I think it has to do with, comes down to love, you know, it just comes down to love as being stronger than sexual abuse. It, when there's something about real love and real caring and real connection, that is very, very healing. And when survivors experience that, and they, they experience the beauty of uh, feeling a sexual arousal that's like, Related to love and within their control, and it then you know, creating it's like a new file opens up the old uh, files, like manila folder files, you know, close down, you know, or, or and you open this new file and you have these experiences that are positive and then they can be built on. Um, and, you know, you brought up something a little earlier, Neil. I often, when I'm talking about repercussions from sexual abuse, we'll talk about uh, the fear of sex and avoiding sex and, and withdrawal from sex. But the, this um, compulsively wanting to engage in it or needing to engage in it or compulsive masturbation or, you know, a lot of sexual addiction slash compulsive kind of behavior can also be a repercussion from sexual abuse that gets in the way of intimacy and that a couple, you know, needs to learn to understand and, and work to address together. Be Yeah.
0: Yeah, one thing that made a huge impact on me, it was with a conversation that we had with Marnia Robinson of Cupid, who wrote Cupid's Poisoned Arrow, about how you can actually do this style of sex called caretza or some people call it slow sex that's all about fostering intimacy and fostering the the bonding hormones that you're that you release with your partner and it occurred to me in the context of healing from sexual trauma that especially because in your book i was reading the distinction that you were making between sex and intimacy and how amazing it can be for partners who think that they what they want is sex with their with their mm-hmm. partner to actually mm-hmm. discover oh what i really wanted was this profound connected intimacy that you can be experiencing before you're even having sex necessarily
1: yeah where your touch is really wanted, and really enjoyed. And where you through your touch can create pleasure in your partner that your partner appreciates those basic things. It's not just about orgasm. I mean, orgasm, is marvelous, you know, and what a spectacular sneeze we're all capable of. <laughs> <laughs> that relax is relaxing, and you know, can put us in touch with uh, starbursts and uh, uh, sunrises and everything. Uh, and it just feels good, but that's not. It's just uh, you know that that really. In terms of what is deeply what what often like feeds a relationship over time, are more of these experiences of like uh, where sex is more like dancing together in a fun way or going on a journey together of different sensual treats and you are making a meal together, and you know, cooking together, it's it's more this sort of sensual sharing where you're present with each other in the moment, and you're having an impact and effect on each other, and, and feel special to your partner. Wow, you know, and right, you know, if what you're doing could have been done by a sex toy, you don't have you don't walk away from it feeling like you were really related to, you know? Right.
0: I, I definitely wanna talk some more about the relearning touch exercises. Before we do, however, I'd like to go back just a minute and talk about those moments of being triggered from the perspective of the survivor uh, and really giving our listeners uh, a chance to to figure out okay I see this is going on for me or yeah I'm getting triggered in bed with my partner and I don't want to um, you know I've heard it described as like my head and my heart want you but my body just cringes and doesn't you know can't participate so how does a survivor who's in this place what can they do when they are feeling triggered and you know, particularly in those moments that are sexual, and they know, you know, my partner wants me, I want to show up for them, but I can't, you know, I'm, I'm elsewhere.
1: Mm -hmm. I think one of the important things is don't go through it alone, you know, Uh, and even uh, uh, if somebody is gets triggered when they're self pleasuring, they can, they need to stop and acknowledge what's happening. So to stop and become aware you're having a reaction, speak about it, calm yourself, put your hand over your heart even, that can help uh, calm, become aware of uh, the present moment and how it's different from the past and who you are in the present, how old you are and and the feelings that are going on with it, it be the, the relationship you have, the safety you have now. Um, be able to uh try and figure out what specific thing might have caused the reaction and then alter in some way. You can either take a break, go get up, get a cup of tea, go to the bathroom, whatever, or just hug each other and kind of hold each other for a while and then reapproach in a different way. Um, and uh. You know, so so it's like you it's that acknowledging and then uh, calming and reapproaching can be really helpful. And I discussed that there's a whole chapter on dealing with automatic reactions to touch in the sexual healing journey and with lots of examples and there's even a big questionnaire there. Where you can, that helps you to identify things that might be triggers that might come up so you can be a little bit more uh, conscious about what's happening. But if you have a really strange reaction and you're just going, well, I shouldn't have had this reaction. Why did I have this reaction? It's like, do not condemn yourself or get upset with yourself. Just acknowledge it, feel compassion for yourself. It's more like an attitude like, for whatever reason, I got triggered. <laughs> right, you know you took your thumb and you slowly stroked my cheek with a sweet gesture, but i got it somehow that triggered me, you know <laughs> it's like and so it's like you don't get upset like, what's wrong with me? I can't even do that, but it's more like, uh okay, now what is it about that? How can we redo it, and how can I uh direct a partner to uh, to do that or maybe we just need to avoid that for a while or maybe I need to ask my partner what what were you thinking when you were stroking my cheek with your thumb what do, what, what was going through your head you know and I need to kind of connect with this is my partner and this is how you know what he or she who's he or she is and that's different than stuff from the past so yeah
0: yeah, from my perspective, I can say as a partner, it's been amazing to have my partner stop and actually say, "I'm not here right now." It mm-hmm. and you know before that was something that was easy to do. It was I would wonder like where like where did she go and you know, what's you know what's even going on right now and that those were frequently moments that I would take that personally. And so to actually be able to have dialogue about that, and not only that, but as a partner, it's so empowering to also be able to stop and check in and say, are you Are you here right now? Is, yeah. you know, is what's going on, you know? And maybe the response you'll get is, oh yeah, I'm here, this is great, love it. Or, you know, maybe you'll get the response of, yeah, I'm not here and thank you so much for showing me that you care that that i'm actually a Checking person it. here
1: yeah or i'm going in and out and i'm having a little trouble but <laughs> most of the time i'm enjoying it you know, yeah those kind of things and and when you're uh, as a, when partners are able to hear that when they if their partner stops then if the survivor stops says i'm having a reaction um if if the uh, intimate partner can respond to it in a way of thank you for telling me you know, yeah, what, what, what would be helpful to you right now? Um, you know, it's sort of like help me be able to be uh, to help you, you've, you've got to make things like safety and communication, and feeling emotionally true, honest and close with each other, those things need to take precedence over. The hot and heavy excitement that might be going on, or your desire to have an orgasm right and when you make it have uh, be more important in the long run, you'll have better sex. You might have a f- several frustrating experiences where you're you know um, essentially teaching your partner, who is the survivor, that he or she matters more to you than your own getting off or whatever, you know? Right. But once you've done that and you've taught them that and they get it and you feel it and it's true and a part of who you are, then the safety's established. You're no longer going to be unconsciously associated with the perpetrator. And then that allows the survivor to open up to the sexual experience in a new way of uh, being able to receive and and give and receive pleasure, you know, at, at new levels.
0: Yeah, and your your exercises, which I'd like to talk about in just a moment in the book around relearning touch, seem like they're a great way of of really getting from the the most safe possible kinds of touch and interaction to places that are truly sensual and yet still safe and you know always always coming back to that context of of safety and trust that you're building with your Uh partner before we talk about that i just want to mention to our listeners that wendy maltz has generously offered to do a giveaway of a signed copy of her book the sexual healing journey if you are interested in qualifying for the giveaway, you can do a couple things. The first is you can text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 and just follow the instructions there, which will qualify you. Or I'm going to put a little resource guide together for this episode, which is available at neilsatin.com Wendy. W e n d y, and if you go there, you'll be able to see the show notes for today's episode, a summary of all the salient points that we discussed, and be able to download that resource guide. And when you download that, that will qualify you for the giveaway. So the resource guide is going to be there forever. Uh, if you hear this episode within the next within the next week um, that this episode has aired, then you will be able to actually qualify for that giveaway. So thank you so much, Wendy, for that generous offer. I really appreciate that.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Hope they like it.
0: It's such a fabulous book in how easy it makes it for people to really get a sense of what's going on in terms of the experience of a a survivor from abuse or assault. And you also really do address the partner's experience too. And so both of those things together in terms of fostering that teamwork approach that you mentioned, that Mm -hmm. really seems like that is the key in terms of how you get through it as a couple. Mm -hmm. So on that note, would you be willing to talk for a few minutes about some of the strategies in relearning touch. And, you know, the first one that comes to mind actually is the vacation.
1: You- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's sort of the setup, Neil. That's, uh, it's not, it, I mean, it is a, a recommendation that's a, like a break from sex. One partner's said. Vacation. Vacation is going to the Caribbean. (laughs) Stopping having sex, you know, with my partners. That's not a vacation, you know. It's like being in jail or something. But um, it's like, you know, it's this sort of thing, if what you're doing isn't working, stop doing it, you know. Just you... If having sex is creating experiences of being triggered and dissociated and a lack of intimacy and old patterns reinforced, then you've got to stop doing it, just like we do when we're breaking, you know, other habits and learning new skills. So it's a time where you, it doesn't mean you stop touch because it's a time where you can then start with. Doing things like the relearning touch exercises. Now the relearning touch exercises are a series of uh, touch exercises that are they're progressive, they develop skills like I had said for being able to relax, uh, communicate, and be present in touch activity. And they're, they can be done with clothes uh, on, usually start out with clothes on. They can be done with clothes off. They can be done. To, there are lots of variations. You create, you just use them as sort of like uh, ideas that you then create your own kind of healing touch healing program from. They teach the ability to speak up, to initiate touch to associate touch with uh, positive feelings like uh, uh, for having fun together and the playfulness and um, uh, also a sort of nurturing therapeutic touch you do, they're, so they're they allow you to create like a continuum of touch. And I talk about continu- continuums of touch in the book, The Sexual Healing Journey. But you know, you where you can just slowly, step by step, uh, move towards more overt sexual activity. So you start with non-sexual and then you can integrate some of these skills and and uh, exercises into being able to be sexual because so many times people it's sort of like oh well we have kissing and holding hands and then there's sex and it's sort of like you know it's like off the cliff <laughs> you know <laughs> and it's like you know oh my god what, the, what this does is it just sort of says let's um create have sex be part of a whole continuum of touch that feels safe within a survivor's control where they're present, where they're sensual, and where they have these skills, and when you're then when you're sexual, it's just sort of like, oh yeah, I can do this with sex. Uh, too many times, survivors and partners think, oh well, if we can just, I think we can have sex now and it will work. But if they haven't developed these skills together and developed this, like I said earlier, a new file of experiences that they can, uh, you know, you uh, flash back on and, and with positive experiences, you, you know, and it's very hard to just like you can't snap into it if you don't have those skills developed. Yet. Right. And you're just going to run into negative experiences. So taking a break from sex, but and then that's where the partner needs to, you know, take care of him or uh, him or herself, in terms of their sexual drive and need for release. And when you just you you become this uh, team in being able to develop these new skills. They're, they are very well uh, shown in the relearning touch video because that's based on the exercises that are in the book. And you can see a free clip of that if you go to my website, healthysex.com. I think I was telling you, Neil, you scroll down on that first page, and it says for a free, you know, or to to see a clip from ReLearning Touch. And it will show the hand-to-heart exercise. It's a beautiful exercise um, of a couple being able to communicate Positive feelings and appreciations for each other that emanate from the heart, move down the hand, out the palm into the partner's heart, and you, and then are sent back to you through the partner's circle of uh, this flow of loving energy. And just having that in your toolkit or whatever. Oh, yeah, I know what it's like. To be touching each other and feeling love circulating, you know, back and forth from our bodies and our feelings, it's this like tremendous new skill there, you know, I mean, how can you, And and then you can, you know, it can be done even with a variation where uh genitals are in, included in it and it's like wow what a neat experience that a genital area can receive love and send love it's like whoa it's like to a survivor that's like what like what are you talking about you know mm. but, but then when you've done enough you have to go slowly and progressively through the less threatening exercises Dude, that would be like a more advanced kind of thing it It can be done in a whole new way where it's uh, a positive and healthy experience for both people.
0: Yeah, so those exercises really are meant to be done sequentially because you're building that rebuilding that foundation of going from playful touch and safety and and having control over over contact and consent. All the way up through actually like giving and receiving pleasure to each other.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and you'll know if you've gone too far. It's a little bit like let's say you're crossing a uh, a creek or whatever, and it has a few stones in it. And if you hop, you might you know you might make it across, but you might fall in because there's so few stones. And what what the relearning touch exercises does it allows you to put in some bigger rocks there that you can step across with, you know, and and you 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 build a safe journey across, a little bridge to go across based on all these different experiences where you've gained new skills. It's really yeah. amazing. I, I hear, you know, I'm at the towards the end, you know, of like treatment with people, you know, there's just saying like things like I never thought sex could be this way, my whole idea of sex has changed Um, you know, I really see now that what happened to me was abuse it wasn't, you know, a healthy sexuality and I've, you know, I just think differently when I think about sex I think in terms of giggling now or in terms of, you know, uh, like being present sensually and feeling safe. It's just so different. That's what I like. Sex is infinite, you know, and if, you know, some of us were unfortunate you know, we, we, we suffered the misfortune of being sexually messed with uh, when we were younger. Uh, but that doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to be the last word on sex. And, uh, in having experienced that, it's just like one of the negatives of our culture of our society. Uh, but so, but we do have that ability to, you know, to to create sex to be whatever we want it to be, to reclaim it as something positive, and to learn the skills to make it so.
0: Well, your book, the Sexual Healing Journey offers a truly inspiring approach to a couple being able to reclaim their sexuality for themselves. And I, I really appreciate your coming on today's show to discuss it, Wendy. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, pleasure to be here. And I wish everyone well.
0: Would you mind just one last quick thing, which would be, there was one thing that made an impression on me. I mean, there were many in your book. <laughs> mm-hmm. The exercise of finding a home base, that mm. seems like that would be so important in when a couple is working together at any step along the way. Can you just describe that before we leave for today?
1: Well, if you're a survivor and you have a partner, you're t- or maybe when you get a future partner, if there's a place on your partner's body that has positive associations to you, maybe it's the silkiness of your partner's hair in the back of their head or maybe I mean for me uh, a wonderful home base was like my the, the underside of my husband's forearm or upper arm is very soft <laughs> and it's the rest of him is hairy and muscular you know and all but, <laughs> yeah, but inside his underarm like whenever i touched that i just felt just like so it was just so comforting, like, you know, to, to touch and um, or, you know, your partner's eyes or the shape of your uh, a partner's earlobe. What is some place? It could be your partner's heart um, or your partner's hand. But if there's a place on your partner's body that when you that you can discover, and you might need to kind of hunt around a little to find it, where it can be like a home base where you feel present, you feel your full age that you are now, you feel in control of what's happening, you feel safe and comforted, and to touch that place. Then when you are making love or exploring, uh, relearning touch exercises, and and if you feel yourself start to get triggered, you can go to that place. You can shift and go to that place or that position that you uh, uh, that you can nestle into with your partner's body, and that can help you to be able to um, be very comforting. So you can then later reapproach touch positively.
0: It also seems like a great way to communicate with your partner about what what your experience is in that moment, what you need.
1: Yeah, you can take a break. You can do. There's a safe nest exercise where it's kind of an embrace, and you can listen to heartbeats. Put your ear over your partner's heartbeat. We all have uh, often some very, uh, hopefully, too, you know, some very positive associations of being in the womb where we felt safe. And uh, and comforted and they, by the uh, human energy enveloping and you know and listening to a partner's heartbeat can kind of bring us back pre to a pre uh, abuse state where it was safe and be comforting. But yeah, you know it's all about discovering what works for you and what fits and what might work for one person might not for another. But knowing the concept that there. Can be a way of being held or holding your partner or, or of uh, touching your partner or being touched that, that generates more safety for you and uh, feeling present and to, to, the, to be aware of that. And then, you know, to, uh, to capitalize on that in terms of um, having creating experiences where you can do that to help you be able to approach sex in new ways.
0: Great. Well, thank you again so much, Wendy Maltz, for being on today's episode of Relationship Alive. And for the listeners at home, you can find out more about Wendy by visiting her website, healthysex.com. And you can, of course, get her books, uh, The Sexual Healing Journey, among others, through amazon.com or any other bookseller. And uh, Wendy, thank you so much for being on today's show.
1: You're welcome. Take care.
0: And thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast, or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do.